Hey everybody, Cnote here, and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is also engaged to Ariana Grande. Today on the show, we're talking about the drama triangle. Uh, this is a uh, social model that has been developed by Stephen Cartman. This was a long time ago. Um, it was he developed in like 1968. Uh, so it is uh, quite the model that is, I don't know, I think still stands the test of time. Uh, we talk about essentially how this model references the victim, the rescuer, and the persecutor, and how using this model is a way to find out how you how you approach conflict and how you can sometimes enable conflict if within one of these sort of, um, I don't know if they don't really use a term for it, but within one of these types of, of conflict uh, beers. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, a, it's about... Um, it's about personal feelings. And at the end of the day, it's about ways for people to project and not actually work through their own problems. So they get into the, the victim, the rescuer or the persecutor sort of mentality to avoid dealing with their own issues. So we, this is a long episode because I get kind of ranty towards the end uh, and it's quite good. <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I use this really, I use a couple good metaphors. Um, you know, sometimes I have episodes where I'm like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> Mental illness is solved. Uh, everybody just go home, go watch Netflix. You're fine. Or go watch the show making it, which is like Molly and I's favorite weekly show these days. Um, we've also been watching agents of shield, which is a lot of fun. Uh, that show, if you, so I, I watched that show like a few years ago when it first aired and I started watching like the first season and I was like, eh, but man, that show takes a ton of twists and turns and it's really, really well done. So I suggest if you if you gave it a shot and let it go to just give it another shot. They get into some crazy stuff. So we're midway through the end the final season at the moment um, of the current season that's available. And we're going to be real sad when it's done, but I'm also pretty excited to just kind of move on with my life. So anyway, uh, let's talk about the drama triangle for a bit and... Uh, Find out where you fall on this dreaded triangle of drama on dopamine. Drums, all right welcome to the show i'm glad you're here i hope you're doing all right somebody is smoking something in my apartment building it smells pretty okay i'm not i'm it's not a cigarette i think cigarettes are fucking terrible like i don't know why people smoke those they just they don't i don't i don't it's a purely chemical thing i'm sure but they smell like garbage. So it's like eating garbage. <laughs> uh, today, I wanted to talk a little bit about the drama triangle. Uh, the drama triangle is, while I pull it up on Wikipedia, the drama triangle is a psychological map that determines, that, that helps people determine what, determine what is the, um, some, some conflicts that can arise in their lives. Let me just pull this up real quick while I'm talking. There was a, I had a Wikipedia thing up. All right, let's just pull that up. So it was developed by Stephen Cartman. Uh, the origin of it, of it is that the drama triangle is a social model that was conceived by Stephen Cartman, a, a student studying under Eric Beam, uh, the father of transactional analysis. 
Um, and, and he used it as a means to, uh, as a social model to understand how people get caught up in uh, different types of drama, essentially. So through popular usage in the work of Cartman and others, Cartman's Triangle has been adapted uh, for use in structural analysis, defining the conflict roles of persecutor, victim, and rescuer, and uh, transactional analysis, diagramming how princip- um, participants switch roles in conflict. Uh, so uh, I just want to kind of go through sort of an overview and then maybe talk a little bit about the uh, specific things going on within each and how it can relate to kind of like your everyday life and how it it, it, it affects me. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it first, how I got interested in it. So I, I heard it, I heard about it randomly in a podcast episode. They were just mentioning like different social models and um, personality models and constructs and stuff. And they mentioned the, the drama triangle. And I was like, that's a really rad name. <laughs> so I liked it. And I was like, okay, let me look that up and see what that's all about. And it is such a simplistic model of understanding every single conflict that people get kind of drawn into that they get kind of in the grip of and sucked into. And I started thinking about it too, because I I know that there are different roles within conflict, but I never found ways to uh, assign them personally. You know, there's the obvious one, there's the victim. And then there's um, within the model, there's the victim, there's the rescuer and the persecutor. Um, but I've always known personally through people's uh, arguments through getting involved in people's situations that there are always, there's always someone who is the victim. There's the villain. And then there's someone who is trying to be the hero, essentially uh, trying to fix the victim's problems all the time, but uh, kind of develops into this codependency that is unhealthy. Like you see that in, it, it's something that happens a lot with mental health, mental illness, uh, with drug users, uh, anyone who has a form of addiction, they get involved in either relationships or they have parent-child relationships or or somebody in their lives that is sort of subconsciously enabling them because the person who is doing the enabling likes the dependence that they get from the person. So uh, that all of that, thinking about all of that stuff, uh, I've been thinking about ego a lot. I've been thinking about codependency a lot. I've been thinking about uh, people getting caught up in drama because that's not something I have any patience for these days. In in this stage of my life, I have zero interest in anyone telling me about like someone who is going in circles about needless conflict. Like I want to help people work through conflict and I want to help people grow and change and develop. But it's, I've had so much experience with drama and I'm sure many of us have that you see these circles of things uh, that are happening. I see when someone's going in circles or I see when someone gets caught up in someone else's drama, they immediately want to talk about that other person's drama and like, why can't they just fix themselves? And like, you know, really just getting caught up in it, when it, caught up in it when it's really like none of your business at all. And really the only way to avoid I shouldn't say void, but like work through a lot of this conflict is to recognize yourself as one of these pieces in this drama triangle. So um, as a quick overview, before we kind of break down the individual ones, um, I'll just kind of read the theory of it in general and we'll kind of go through it. But like I mentioned, um, so kind of before I read everything, it is a inverted triangle if you look at it physically. So if you look it up on Google or whatever, you'll see a quick diagram of it, but it's an inverted triangle and meaning the point is on the bottom and the bottom point is the victim. And then the top left is the rescuer and the top right is the persecutor. And um, so 
keep that in mind as we go through this. And the reason it's listed like that, or it's, it's diagrammed like that is because the victim is typically putting themselves beneath everyone else. And then the rescuer and the persecutor is actively putting themselves in a uh, control scenario above the victim. So it really makes sense when you start to kind of work through it. So we're going to read, this is just a Wikipedia thing. And again, you know, this is something that I'm going to continue to do my own research on. This is just like, I'm just excited that I have like, personally discovered this and I thought it was really interesting to talk about. So I'm going to share this with you. But again, as with most of these episodes, I encourage you to continue to do your own research and, and learn more about it. So uh, this is the theory section within um, uh, within the Wikimedia, Wikipedia article. Cartman uses triangles to map conflicted or drama intense relationship transactions. The Cartman drama triangle models the connection between personal responsibility and power in conflicts and the destructive and shifting roles people play. He defined three roles in the conflict, persecutor, rescuer, the ones, the one up positions and victim one down position. Cartman placed these three roles on an inverted triangle and referred to them as being the three aspects or faces of drama. Cartman, who had interest in acting and was a member of uh, the Screen Actors Guild, chose the term, quote unquote, drama triangle rather than the term conflict triangle, as the victim in his model is not intended to represent an actual victim, but rather someone feeling or acting like a victim. Uh, That's an important thing. Before I continue reading, I'm going to read that last sentence again. So Cartman, who had interest in acting and was a member of the Screen Actors Guild, chose the term, quote unquote, drama triangle rather than the term, quote unquote, conflict triangle as the victim in his model, uh, in his model, which is not intended to represent an actual victim, but rather someone feeling or acting like a victim. So when we talk about victim, we're talking about someone who is kind of putting themselves down all of the time. Poor me. Uh, everything always goes wrong. Um you know, why does this always happen to me? You know, that sort of thing, that, that victim who is not actually trying and things, you know, and, and things don't just kind of, they just, they just only see the negative, for example. So the, the, there's like a quick description of each of these that says, well, number one, the victim, the victim stance is quote unquote, poor me. The victim feels victimized, depressed, helpless, hopeless, powerless, ashamed, and seems unable to make decisions, solve problems, take pleasure in life, or achieve insight. The victim, if not, if not being persecuted, will seek out a persecutor and also a rescuer who will save the day, but also perpetuate the victim's negative feelings. And, um, that's that last sentence, um, the rescuer who will save the day, but also perpetuate the victim's negative feelings is kind of like, um, I think I want to do other episodes on it, but I I talked about it last week when I was talking about um, uh, depression as a habit that you kind of just get used to negative feelings. And sometimes we like it subconsciously and we get so used to it that we continue to feed it. We continue to feed the negativity. So sometimes we'll seek outside advice to kind of fulfill this feeling that we get of wanting to continue to feel like the victim. So everyone can feel bad for us and have sympathy and we can continue to not have to take responsibility essentially. Uh, So number two is the rescuer. The rescuer's line is let me help you quote unquote, a classic enabler. The the rescuers feel um, the rescuer feels guilty if he or she doesn't go to the rescue yet his or her rescuing has negative effects. It keeps the victim dependent and gives the victim permission to fail. The rewards derived from this ro- rescuer role are the 
that the focus is taken off of the rescuer. When he or she focuses their energy on someone else, it enables them to ignore their own anxiety and issues. This rescue role is also very pivotal because their actual primary interest is really in avoidance of their own problems disguised as concern for the victim's needs. Uh, you get a lot of codependent relationships that develop as a result of that. Um, and really the big thing is it keeps the victim dependent and gives the victim permission to fail. So it's like this, this again, codependent relationship where the victim gets to continue to fail, gets to continue to feel bad about themselves. Um, while the rescuer enables that failure and, uh, continues to feel good about not having to, uh, face their own issues essentially. So the rescuer has their own faults. Um, even though, which is like, I find is like the most tricky because they can fall into this pattern of feeling like they are someone who, who can't be fixed or, 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 or rather they fall into this pattern of just like ignoring and helping the other person ignore as well. So you can't really tell what it is that you're doing. You just feel like you're helping, but really you're just, you're just stringing people along. And the, the number three is the persecutor, AKA the villain. The persecutor insists that it's all your fault. The persecutor is controlling, blaming, critical, oppressive, angry, authoritative, rigid, and superior. Um, you know, someone who is just saying the term, it's all your fault. You did this to yourself. Uh, you are, uh, you know, you're, you're a jerk. You're lazy. You're blah, blah, blah. Just critical saying, just being kind of mean and, and hurtful. And I'm sure, again, the persecutor is, might also be trying to get the person to move and nudge, but it's not helpful. It's just an attack as opposed to a challenge, which is very different. And um, that'll lead to kind of us talking about ways to get out of the drama triangle. Um, but I'm going to take a quick break. We'll finish reading this theory section, and then we'll talk a little bit about what you can do to acknowledge and get out of that role that you fall in when you're in within the drama triangle. Okay. And I'm back. I just had to take a quick drink of water and we're going to continue. So um, I'm going to continue reading a little bit about this theory when it comes to the drama triangle. We've talked already about the victim, the rescuer and the prosecutor, what those mean, but we're going to kind of dive into the general theory a little bit and how we can start to approach getting out of that. So uh, initially a drama triangle arises when a person takes on the role of a victim or a persecutor. This person then feels the need to enlist others other players into the conflict. As often happens, a rescuer is encouraged to enter the situation. These enlisted players take on roles of their own that are not static, and therefore various scenarios can occur. For example, the victim might turn on to the uh, might turn on the rescuer. The rescuer then switches to persecuting. For example, so um, and and the reason that I like to personally refer to the rescuer as like the codependent one is because the rescuer can exist without another person to latch onto. So uh, the victim has to exist for the rescuer to exist. Um, and you could be a persecutor against a victim who is not necessarily identifying themselves as a victim. Um, 
but we'll go into that a little bit more. So the motivations for each participant and the reason the situation endures is that each gets their, their unspoken and frequently unconscious psychological wishes slash needs met in a manner they feel justified without having to acknowledge the broader dysfunction or harm done in the situation as a whole. As such, each participant is acting upon their own selfish needs rather than acting in a genuinely responsible and altruistic manner. Thus, any character from all three in this triangle might ordinarily come on like a plaintiff victim. It is now clear that the one can switch into the role of persecutor, providing it is accidental and the one apologizes for it. So um, what that all means <laughs> um, is that people, so I, I, I get really, I get a little triggery around the word selfish because it's really tricky to talk about. Uh, on one hand, being selfish and caring about yourself is important, but caring about yourself at the detriment of others is where this their drama triangle is essentially starting from. Uh, if you are not addressing your needs personally, you are going to accidentally address your needs irresponsibly amongst and against other people, whether you're the rescuer, the, the persecutor or the victim, you are going to be someone that is just, it is all avoidant behavior, right? You're avoiding your own, uh, um, your own things that are going on. You know, as a persecutor, you're triggered by someone's actions and behaviors uh, or of being a victim because there's something within you typically that needs to also be addressed. So, and sometimes when you're addressing that, you can kind of switch roles and go between the different roles. But for the most part, it is as such, each participant is acting upon their own selfish needs. Selfish not being a bad word in this case, but selfish being having to act upon their own selfish needs without actually directly addressing it. So it comes off to the other person as, as hurtful and shameful because you're not addressing it to yourself. You're addressing it through others. And that's where it becomes hurtful because when, when you're trying to address your own selfish needs to another person, like it's going to come off harsh because you're not actually addressing them. You're addressing yourself through the conduit of the conduit of the other person. Does that make sense? So again, I'm going to read this sentence where it says, as such, each participant is acting upon their own selfish needs rather than acting in genuine, responsible or in a genuinely responsible or altruistic manner. So a lot of this stuff is unconscious, subconscious, psychological wishes and needs wanting to be met, wanting to be met through justified actions within the drama triangle. So without having to acknowledge their own broader dysfunction or harm done in the situation as a whole. So again, they're just so focused on the self-satisfaction that they get from telling someone that they're shitty or helping someone who's a victim or saying, woe is me and feeling good about it. I say good because like it, it, it satisfies that negative feeling that we have. It satisfies that feeling we're used to. There's a, it's about, it's a comfort zone thing, right? So when you're in a comfort zone that is negative, it can still feel good and it's going to be hard to get out of it. Um, so I'm going to keep reading here. The motivations of the rescuer are the least obvious in the terms of the drama triangle. The rescuer is someone who has a mixed or covert motive and is actually benefiting ego, um, egoically in terms of ego in some way from being the one who rescues the rescuer has a surface motive of the resolving problem and appears to make great efforts to solve it, but also as has a hidden motive to not succeed or to succeed in a way that they may benefit. For example, they may get a self-esteem boost or receive respected rescue status or derive enjoyment by having someone depend on them and trust them. 
and act in a way that ostensibly seems to be trying to help, but at a deeper level plays upon the victim in order to continue getting a payoff. So it's playing on the victim and keeping the victim there. You know, it keeps the victim below them so that they can continue to feel good and get ego boosts and save them and help them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the rescuer is going to continue that loop as long as the victim allows it to happen and as long as the rescuer allows it to happen. So feeling good in terms of your ego for being the one who rescues is going to continue to, to feed that cycle. So the rescuer has a surface motive of resolving the problem and appears to make great efforts to solve it, but also has a hidden motive to not succeed, to succeed in a way that, that they benefit. So again, they're distancing themselves from their own problems in order to try to address someone else's problem. And once that problem goes away and they have to start to face their own problems, they're going to seek the same victim or another victim and try to find ways to continue to ignore the issues that they have to rescue. They, essentially, they're avoiding rescuing themselves by being a rescuer of someone else. So um, in some cases, the relationship between the victim and the rescuer can be one of codependency. The rescuer uh, keeps the victim dependent on them by encouraging their victimhood. The victim gets their needs met by having the rescuer take care of them. So, and in general, participants tend to have a primary or habitual role, victim role, victim, rescuer, persecutor, when they enter into the drama triangle. So in other words, like you tend to enter the drama triangle in the same way um, most of the time, you know, because of habit or just a, just that's the way of doing it, you know, appearing to be the sad one, the victim or being, you know, hurtful and hateful. Um, so participants first learn their habitual role in their family of origin, even though participants each have a role within each of um, with which they most identify. Once on the triangle, participants rotate through all positions going completely around the triangle. Each triangle has a payoff for those playing it. And um, the antithesis of a drawing tri drama triangle lies in discovering how to deprive the actors of their payoff. Um, so that payoff again for the rescuer is getting the satisfaction of helping the victim. The victim gets the satisfaction of being taken care of. The persecutor gets the satisfaction of feeling like they told the person what to do, <laughs> essentially. So um, trying to see if there's anything else within this, um, uh, within this uh, Wikipedia article that could help us here. But so thinking about these different roles, the victim, the rescuer, and the persecutor, uh, the ways that I can think of to get out of it, there are certainly some really great YouTube videos that you can check that'll help with some, uh, some specifics on ways to get out of this cycle. But as far as I know, um, the victim can do the best that they can to help themselves out of it by, uh, by, by taking personal responsibility and not necessarily, uh, and, and, you know, doing things that can improve their self-esteem. Uh, and the rescuer and the persecutor are going to be pivotal in that basically by allowing them to grow and, you know, the victim should be seeking support, but not seeking someone to do their, you know, do life for them. They need someone that's going to give them new information or give them a way to, uh, to, to help them grow and not enable their negative spiral essentially. And then the rescuer can help by being a support but not necessarily doing things for them. You know, you can, the rescuer can be there to listen to them, can be someone that will be there for them to just kind of like give them a hug, listen to them while they're talking, um, give them, give them little bits of advice, but not say anything along the lines of, 
let me help you. Let me do this for you. Um, let me, let me, let me, you know? So the rescuer is going to want to take on the role of like a mother or a parent or basically treat the victim as a dependent. And um, the persecutor is going to be in a, in a healthier role when they can challenge the victim, when they can challenge the victim to better themselves through asking tough questions and encouraging them to do something a little bit more difficult than what they're used to. And the persecutor is, um, you know, that's the positive side of it because the persecutor is going to normally be critical and oppressive and blaming and controlling. And it's not about controlling. It's not about saying, do this and your life will be better, but it's about asking, do you think you've done everything that you could? Um, do you feel like there is, uh, another path? Do you feel like you've talked to everyone that you could? Do you feel like you ha have, um, you know, worked through all possibilities, stuff like that. Uh, just asking questions, challenging, encouraging, because victims will remain victims if they're unchallenged, if they're unsupported. And I find the victims kind of uh, come out in mental health all the time. Um, and I see it within mental illness. Uh, and it's easy within mental illness because we're feeling depressive. We're feeling down. We're feeling like we don't want to exist, etc. So it's easy to compound on that and make everything worse. But the truth is that as a, as the victim in this scenario, as the person who is dealing with any kind of mental illness, you still have a personal responsibility. You are not, you don't have a board of directors to check in with. You don't have any, like you still have autonomy. You have the choice. There is always a way. Uh, I, like, I know you're going to list off instances where there isn't a way. That's fine. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is in most situations where people feel trapped and helpless, there is actually a way, but we just haven't thought about it yet. We haven't talked enough to enough people yet. We haven't been willing to solve problems. We may be ruminating. We may be feeling stuck. And sometimes it's hard. You know, you need to seek support or you need to seek someone who's willing to challenge you and ask questions. But at the end of the day, a rescuer or persecutor can come into your life and try to ask you questions, try to challenge you, try to rescue you in some sort of way. But it's going to be up to you to get out of that role of the victim and find a way to move yourself forward, even if it's just a tiny bit. And um, that's the thing. It's, you know, that's the challenge I face when with talking with people dealing with mental illness is, is this feeling that they can't do anything about it, that their mental illness is completely taken over their lives. And again, I want to encourage people to consider and think about the fact that you are not a person you are not a depressed person. You are a person that has depression. There are two very different terms, two different thing, ways of looking at it. So you are a person that can still take control of your life. You can make different decisions. You can make the choice to uh, attempt a different way of doing something. If you're having time, you're having trouble getting out of bed, you know, do something on your phone while you're in bed that can move the needle work wise or apply for a job or look for friends or look for a date or look for support or call a friend. There's always a possibility to do something. And the last thing you could do is to continue to enable this bad feeling and make it worse. You know, we're trying to fight. We're trying to live. We're trying to feel better. And I know it's hard. I know it's so much harder than it sounds and it's not, but it's not impossible. You know, I've been fighting this thing since I was 10 years old. That's 22 years of shit and turmoil and almost dying and uh, having to restart my life multiple times. And then 
eventually starting this podcast where I can finally help other people because I've been developing my own coping mechanisms and realizing that I am a person that still has choices, that even though I'm dealing with depression and even though I'm in deep depression, I still have choices for ways to manage my energy, ways to connect with people, ways to do things that aren't within social constructs and things that are filled that are, that are uh, applying to my psychological biases and affecting my ability to move forward. You know, a lot of people are stuck thinking whether you're dealing with mental illness or not, they're stuck thinking about how someone's going to think of them or how they're going to be perceived uh, and, or, you know, basically uh, their legacy in some form. And honestly, if you can barely get out of bed, the legacy, your legacy is the last thing you should be thinking about. Think about the next step, literally the next step, and then focus on the next thing. But, forward always find a way to move forward and understand that you are not a dependent you are an adult you are someone who has to make your own decisions you have to continue to grow and go uh, this is just this is the way the world is this is the way humans are this is the way and i know it's more difficult and i know that it's easy to just say i'm i have mental illness woe is me everything is hard but you know what going through mental illness and having a, a, a form of, uh, um, what's the term? What am I thinking of? Um, <laughs> uh, having some form of oppression. I shouldn't say oppression. It's not oppression. It's um, uh, uh, adversity. That's the word. Yes. Having a form of adversity is going to make you stronger. It, it's, you know, because I think about the things that I have to deal with and I try to connect it to, I think about if I were to just take my brain chemistry and take everything I think about and go through and the challenges I face, and I try to implant it into a person who has had a healthy life their entire life, they're going to, they're not going to last a day. They're just not because I've had to strengthen myself. I've had to grow. I've had to develop as a person in order to continue to survive. And that's, what's given me the strength to help other people and to do this podcast. So for me, that's the emotional thing that I get out of this show. And the thing that I, I tend to, so when I go into this sort of triangle myself, I tend to lean into the persecutor role, which I'm sure it kind of sounds like it, but I've always been a bit of a challenger. I've been a person that wants to ask you the questions to try to get you out of this rut, because I'm not going to say you need to just fucking go because that's not easy. It's not, it's not as easy as that. But I also want to encourage you and let you know that you are a human being. You need to take personal responsibility and there's nothing wrong with the effort it takes to do that. There's nothing wrong with feeling upset or feeling like you want someone to take care of you. But if someone does take care of you, then you are relinquishing your right to, to make your own choices. And frankly, they could make things worse. So making choices, controlling the things that you can control is a means to try to make your life better little by little. You know, it's like, it's like if you, it's like, it's like going to the grocery store. And if you were to go to the grocery store and buy all the food that you want, say you lived alone and you needed to buy all the food that you wanted, you go to the grocery store, you pick all the food out and you come home and great, you've got all the food that you want to eat for the next week or two or three or however long that you shop for. But if you were to just go to someone on the street and say, hey, can you just shop for me? I can't do this. You give them the money. They come back with all of this stuff that you didn't think that you like. You just 
there's you are allergic to like peanuts and they bought all these peanuts and you have like oranges and you don't like oranges like you made no decisions you relinquished all of your choices so they came back with stuff that maybe there they got a couple things right by chance but you didn't make those decisions so now unfortunately you have to live with that for at least the next two or three weeks or until you get more money or until whatever and then you can start to make other decisions and go to the store and realize that, hey, you know what? If I just made my own decisions from the first place, A, I wouldn't have had to throw so much food away. B, I would have better tasting food and feel more secure and not have to worry about uh, uh, making more money in order to get more food. And uh, C, you would just feel this sense of autonomy and personal responsibility. And even if you're still dealing with mental illness throughout all of this, you're not making it worse by having to deal with things that you don't want right? <laughs> so, okay. Sorry. I'm getting a little aggressive. <laughs> getting very persecuty. Per- persecuty. Oh, that's me. I'm a persecuty. I like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just, just think about it that way. I, I, I like the grocery store analogy because I mean, control what you can though. It's not about controlling people. It's not about controlling every situation you come across because you're not going to be able to, to do that. But there are always little things that you can think of that that, that you can make little decisions and little choices over. And once you start to develop a better sense of autonomy and being less of a victim, uh, you, you will start to grow. And just simply, you know, as people dealing with mental illness, we are trying to cut our losses where we can. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like everything within me is just leaking. That sounds gross, but that's not what I mean. <laughs> I mean, like, um, you know, like emotionally, everything is just consistently leaking and I'm plugging holes everywhere that I can. Again, that also sounds gross. Uh, so it's about finding the ways that you can control the the sinking, you know, because it feels like we're sinking all the time, but it's about making sure that we're still coming up with apparatuses to get the water out of the bucket, water, water into the bucket and out of the boat and plug up the leaks and you know, move, fix the sales and undo all of the little things throughout our lives and to keep things going and to keep things flowing, make things as easy as possible for us so that we don't have to fall into this place of like drowning and, and feeling like we need someone else to do it for us and feeling dependent. And, uh, you know, I I know for some, it's going to be varying based on stories and things are going to be difficult, but I'm telling you one step one little thing, which we're going to talk about in tomorrow's episode, we're going to talk about non-zero strategy and thinking about just doing one thing and going from there every single day so that you can move something forward just a little bit. You know, life doesn't demand of you to make a giant change every single day. So don't demand that of yourself. Don't make things worse for yourself. You really don't have to. Okay. I'm going to wrap up. This is getting long. <laughs> I'm getting all fired up, which is great. Cause I got a couple episodes to record. <laughs> so I'm going to be real excited and just talk about some stuff. Um, so hopefully this helped you in any kind of way. I would love to hear if you have any thoughts on this, um, which do you feel you fall into when you go into the drama triangle? Are you the victim, the rescuer, the persecutor? Let me know on, on a, a voice message here on anchor, or you can hit me up at let's go see note on Twitter, which is probably the best way to chat with me. And then, um, if you want to subscribe and support the show, you can leave a donation going to by going to dopamine.life. And if you want to learn more about me and my projects, you can go to cnote.media. And uh, I have other podcasts available. Uh, Super Myers Breaks Turbo EX, which is anchor.fm slash super MBTI. And then I have CNote's Media Madness, which is cnote.show. So 
Uh, that's it for today. I hope you guys take care of yourselves and each other. I hope you can recognize when you're in the drama triangle and find ways to get out of it. And as I learn more about this, if there's a, a much clearer way to describe the roles and how to get out of it, and if I learn anything about it, um, I will certainly do another episode on it and share with you how this can help you improve your life because this is what we're doing. We're trying to make it better. So I'm going to drink some more water because it's fucking hot. <laughs> and uh, I'll catch you guys next time on Dopamine. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later.